0: Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast. Brought to you by Barclays. It's been a weekend of yet more twists at the top and bottom with news of the biggest managerial casualty of the season so far.
1: It's not been good. I recognise it's not been good. It needs to be better we're on track to make changes and do some different things. We need to try and get rid of the bad things and do better with the, with the things that we should have done.
0: Journalist Paddy Barkley joins us and we will have full reaction to David Moy's departure from Old Trafford after just 10 months in charge. Elsewhere, Jose Mourinho's unbeaten reign at the bridge is ended by a
2: Blues legend. Nobody expects anything from us. We go and we get that good result at Man City and we beat Chelsea here. We got today that break that we didn't get in many, many games that for some reason it was going against us.
0: Could Raheem Sterling be the key to Liverpool Pool's title charge. At 19 years of age, I don't see anyone better. I think his intelligence with the ball, I think his movement, and what he's been concentrating on, he's work like to score on goals. He's, for me, the best young player in European football at this moment. Former Everton midfielder Graham Stewart is with us to discuss the Toffees' first double over Manchester United for more than 40 years. West Ham midfielder Mark Noble reveals which England star helped turn him into a fully-fledged professional. We hear from David Marshall, Victor Wanyama and Seamus Coleman, plus a special, lifelong Crystal Palace fan joins us to marvel at the tony pulis effect and welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast. I'm Marcus Buckland and joining me to analyze another crucial round of top flight fixtures is the former Everton and Chelsea midfielder Graham Stewart. Hello to you, Graham. Hello, Marcus. We've got to start with the news of David Moyes' departure from Manchester United after just 10 months following that 2-0 defeat at Everton on Sunday. How surprised were you by the breaking news?
1: Well, I'm surprised from a Manchester United perspective because they give their managers time. Sir Alex Ferguson didn't exactly hit the ground running, but they gave him time, they trusted him. Everybody thought that Manchester United would give David Moyes that bit of time, that money in the summer to spend and create his own Manchester United side as opposed to taking over Sir Alex's side. But then again, you look at it from the other side of the coin and we live in a modern day game where, you know, it doesn't take much to sack a manager anymore, does it? You know, a run of poor performances. And I think we have to accept that Manchester United have been desperately poor this season. Ultimately David Moyes has had to
0: go. A lot of immediate reaction of course. Many people suggesting that one of his big mistakes was immediately changing the backroom staff. A lot of people also saying that he was always playing catch-up because of the club's inability to sign a couple of major players last summer. Are they
1: relevant points? I think they're all relevant points, yes. I mean there was talk of Ozil coming into Manchester United that they missed out on him. He went to Arsenal instead and there was a sense of Fellaini coming in for a, a very very big fee. I think it was the best part of 2018 Eight million pounds as being a panic buy, and you look at what Fellaini's done for Manchester United, and it's not an awful lot, is it? Manchester United supporters are looking at it and thinking, well, where's our 28 million pounds worth gone? And then all of a sudden, he's under pressure. Then, when the January transfer window opens to make another stellar signing and to improve things that aren't great already, he spends 37 million pounds on Juan Matter. and everybody wants to play in the same position. Everybody wants to play behind the front man. Fellaini's best position is behind the front man, in my opinion. Mata can only play there if Wayne Rooney and Van Persie are playing. Playing. Wayne Rooney wants to play behind Van Persie so too many players all wanted to do the same thing and ultimately the shape of Manchester United side was terrible
0: mm. so would you say they botched the succession the fact that the chief executive changed in the summer as well Ed Woodward came in, so he had yeah. a new manager a new chief exec too many changes all at once too many changes all at once we all grow to have an understanding
1: with whoever we're working with so Ed Woodward's never met David Moyes before probably David Moyes obviously never worked with him and when you're trying to rebuild a football club. You've got to have that communication and clearly it wasn't good enough. Decision making was poor.
0: Well a club statement was issued a short time after confirmation came through that David Moyes had been sacked. It said we would like to place on record our thanks for the hard work honesty and integrity that he brought to the role. Ryan Giggs is interim manager. I'm delighted to say that we're now joined by the London Evening Standards esteemed football writer Paddy Barkley. Paddy has the news come as a surprise to
3: you? Well no because of yesterday's rumours and the sources appeared absolutely rock solid. That was a surprise in the sense that I assumed that Manchester United would have the decent way to wait until the end of the season but of course it's not that simple. Their reasoning will be that it's not good waiting till the end of the season before going on the buying spree that will be necessary to get the team back to where it wants to be at home and just as importantly abroad. Of course
0: a lot of people have been saying it's not the Manchester United way But, of course, they've just not been in this position, have they, for the last 26 years because of Sir Alex's success. So is that a little bit of a red herring?
3: Yes, it is. I mean, the Manchester United of before, of Martin Edwards and Bobby Charlton, the old board, were able to discern that Alex Ferguson was making progress in his early years. They could see it behind the scenes. They had the knowledge to be able to tell that it was going on. I mean, at one stage, the crowd at Old Trafford, and you know, younger listeners are not going to believe this, but the crowd at Old Trafford for a game at this stage of the season 25 years ago was 23,000 a match against Wimbledon. But Edwards, Charlton and so on kept their nerves. And of course, the rest is history. This is a very different Manchester United leadership and they need results straight away. And, you know, that's obviously what has happened. They've taken a look at the team in the match against Everton and decided, look, we either change that team or half of it or we change the manager. And uh, it's much easier to change the manager, isn't it?
1: Do you think it's pretty much a case of performances on the park plus the fact that Manchester United don't want to give David Moyes the £150, million is rumoured to be spent in the summer or was it purely down to footballing
3: reasons? Well, I think one would have followed the other. If the football had been, you know, hunky-dory, if Manchester United were fourth, say, then I think they would have taken a look at David Moyes' transfer record with Everton and it's something of an irony to me that if he's lost his job because he can't be trusted with a huge amount of money well look at his transfer record at Everton the huge profit he made on Julian Lescott and Cahill signed for £1 million. You could reel off about 15 brilliant signings. Phil Jagielka, Tim Howard. And one thing that David Moyes can be trusted with, it seems to me, is buying the right players and getting the best out of them. But uh, Manchester United obviously feel that at the level to which they aspire, uh, someone who's capable of attracting really top, world-class players is what's
0: needed. Of course, the stats just don't make good reading for them. They're going to finish with fewer than 70 points for the first time since the 1990-91 yeah. season. No Champions League football for the first time since 95-96. Yeah. Finishing outside the top six for the first time since the 1989-90 season. That all adds up. And the big question now, of course, is who are they going to turn to to try and bring back the good times? Who do you think they should turn to now?
3: has made Louis van Gaal the favourite, and I agree with that, because he's available after the World Cup, and he's quite capable of directing them as to who to buy from a distance in the same way as Arsene Wenger did while he was still in Japan and before he went to Arsenal all those years ago, 1996. So that could work. And, and, of course, in the long term, people think that part of his job will be to groom Ryan Giggs for the job. And remember that one of his previous pupils in another age at Barcelona was one Jose Mourinho. So he's got a fairly good record as a teacher.
0: But clearly you feel, Paddy, that United have jumped the gun here and have made a mistake.
3: I rather agree with Gary Neville. He certainly said it was an undignified process. I agree with that. I mean, less than a year ago, Sir Alex Ferguson said to the crowd, trust this man. David's thick with David Moyes through thick and thin. That's what he actually said. Well, they've had a bit of thin. They're seventh, they're not 17th. And they've had a bit of thin and they haven't stuck with him. And that's the leadership of the club. So I'd love to be a fly on Sir Alex Ferguson's wall this morning.
1: Paddy, you know, you call it undignified. Gary Neville says the same thing. But, you know, you know, let, let's be realistic about this. I mean, you're mm. talking about David Moyes, a man who's gone in and taken over a championship when inside, and now they don't qualify for the Champions League, the mm. worst points record. From a Manchester United boards perspective, yes, yes, you, you know, know, I think it's a fair argument to say that, you know, in the modern day game, you know, we know what happens. They pay the price.
3: Of course, I agree with that analysis. It's just maybe I'm a little bit idealistic, but to me what this season has shown was that Manchester United won the title last season with character given to the players by Sir Alex Ferguson. As soon as he stepped down, their character just disappeared. Now, is that David Moyes' fault or theirs? That is an alternative analysis, and it's what I saw when I watched the Everton game. I just think Moyes has done his best. He's been the wrong man. Look at Roy Hodgson. Wonderful manager with Fulham and and many others and possibly could be a very good manager for England. But at Liverpool, it just wasn't to be. And I think that, in a way, might be the case with uh, David Moyes and Manchester United.
0: Paddy, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thanks, Jabs. Some really interesting thoughts from Paddy. Let's hear from David Moyes himself. This is what he had to say after what turned out to be his last match in charge of the club at Everton on Sunday.
1: I think the supporters have been incredibly behind the team and supported the, the team throughout. They've realised that uh, it's been a difficult season. It's not been good. I recognise it's not been good. It needs to be better. We're on track to make changes and do some different things. We've not changed, we're rebuilding. We've got uh, things we want to do. But I think that uh, today there was things which weren't that good, but there was some things that were good. And uh, We need to try and get rid of the bad things and do better with the, with the things that we should have done.
0: In many ways, the same old story of trying to remain positive after a defeat. Were comments like that, and we heard them several times over the course of the past few weeks. One of his big problems, the fact that he didn't seem to be acknowledging what everybody else was saying, that there weren't any great improvements in sight. Well, Manchester
1: United have just got worse and worse, in my opinion, Marcus. It's as simple as that. David Moyes has to hold his hands up and accept that it's not been great. And it's ultimately, it's cost him his job. We live in a modern-day world where, you know, you're three defeats away from, being the worst manager in the world just three great results from being the best manager the planet's ever seen it's a very very funny game football sometimes there's irony left right and centre the irony is he's left his last game for Manchester United where he made his success at Everton Football Club but ultimately you have to look at the job David Moyes has done and, and accept that it's really not been acceptable
0: The interim management have four games left this season Norwich at home Sunderland at home Hull at home Southampton away what's the short term target how important do you think Europa League Qualification is for them now. It will just be a case
1: of rebuilding the pride, you know, show some character in your performances, get as many good results as possible up to the last game of the season, and they have to get European football. If that's Europa League football, then so be it. That's all it can be, but they've got to be playing European football, Manchester United. And long term,
0: who should be their next manager? Grant.
1: Well, there's rumours flying around of Van Gaal, which is the obvious one. I actually said Jose Mourinho before David Moyes got the job because I think Mourinho was probably the only person on the planet with the character to deal with with a job as huge as Manchester United. I was actually surprised David Moyes even got the job, but um, it's a tough one, and it's a decision that the Manchester United board are going to have to think long and hard about. They've given themselves plenty of time to think about it,
0: but they have to make the right decision this time. Well, as for Everton, another really impressive performance from your old side, Graham. Obviously, ruin not just David Moyes' day, but his season, as it turned out. One of the key men on Sunday, once again, the Everton fullback, Seamus Coleman.
4: Well, obviously we had a disappointment midweek against Palace. So today was probably a must-win game and we knew it was going to be difficult, but manager made us forget about Palace very quickly and move on to this and thankfully we've got three points. You know, we just move on now, finish the season strong and hopefully get that fourth spot. And we'll give it our all and hopefully we can sneak in there.
0: Yeah, they're still in with the chance of qualifying in the top four. It was their first league double over United since the 1969-70 season. Coleman in particular continues to look better and better, doesn't he? Absolutely.
1: I mean, the biggest question is can Everton keep hold of Seamus Coleman because he's going to be a sought-after man in the summer, in my opinion. Absolutely outstanding along with Leighton Baines. I think Everton have got the two best attacking fullbacks in this Barclays Premier League. And again, he was outstanding on Sunday. They couldn't deal with him. Bursting forward, creative, you know, in his play. He's been absolutely outstanding and it wouldn't surprise me if there was a big bid from A-Club somewhere along the way in the summer.
0: So many standout performances again at the weekend. Morales, uh, McCarthy, Stones. They've got three very tough fixtures remaining. Southampton away, Manchester City at home although obviously City won't look forward to going to Goodison Hull away, obviously Arsenal are the favourites to clinch that fourth place but how realistic a chance do Everton still have?
1: Well they've got a fair chance, there's no doubt about that Southampton's form's dipped a little bit although it's always a difficult fixture down at St Mary's I like the work Podicino's done there, they've got some good young players so that'll be a difficult afternoon and then you get to the Manchester City game and the irony of it again, we talk about irony in football and if Everton were to win that game it could possibly hand the title to Liverpool (laughs) (laughs) they're rivals so you know, I think it's a case of Everton just having to look after themselves and try and get that Champions League. It can expand the club, financial rewards, bring in top-quality players to the football club. While they're in with a shout, they've got to give it everything they possibly can. Arsenal's fixtures, are, shall we say, are slightly more favourable, but it's going to be tough. We've all tried to call what's going to happen mm. this year in the Bartleys Premier League, and we've all had plenty of egg on our face over the course of the season.
0: Now, in terms of results, the big shock of the weekend came at Stamford Bridge as Sunderland recovered from a goal down to beat Chelsea... and so end Jose Mourinho's incredible unbeaten home league record. I don't think anybody Graham saw that result coming.
1: Well, I certainly didn't, Marcus. There's no doubt about that. Very, very disappointing performance from Chelsea. They never really got themselves going, did they? I mean, they got the ideal start with going a goal up, but
0: they didn't build on that. First home league defeat in 78 matches for Mourinho. Let's hear from the mastermind behind the victory, the Sunderland boss Gus Poyet, who feels his side's recent performances against City and Chelsea have given them renewed hope
2: overall it's special very special for us today every time we play against the top teams we perform somehow in a better way than when we play against the teams at the bottom so uh, I'm not surprised the good thing now the last two games that we accepted that the opposition can score but we can stay in the game and we can make it difficult and we keep going and believing and waiting for your time you're going to have a time during the game that you have to take advantage and and we did today and uh, we're going to go to the end with the results like today, you can expect anything from us now. And when we look at that on Wednesday afternoon, now we are a totally different team. And the only thing I want is to keep this belief and performance today, notices.
0: So, four points from two away games at Manchester City and Chelsea, and all that. Graham after they'd lost seven of their previous eight in the league. How's he turned it around?
1: Well it's incredible isn't it? I mean you know Gus alluded to it the fact that they're playing okay against the decent sides the top sides but they're struggling when they play say the lesser teams that are around them and that to me has got to be an attitude of mine from his players. You know they can raise themselves and get themselves up for the big games. The reality is the bread and butter stuff around where you sit they're not dealing with it.
0: Still bottom just three points from safety with a game in hand and you look at their last four fixtures and they are what you could turn i um bread and butter games or three of them Cardiff at home West Brom at home Swansea at home a trip to Manchester United as well do you think they can get themselves out of trouble now? No I
1: don't see that they're struggling at home they can't deal with the pressure of playing in front of their expectant fans and you look at Cardiff they're fighting for their lives so are West Brom so are Swansea so they're like three FA Cup finals all at home all with huge expectation and the league doesn't lie Sunderland cannot deal with playing at home
0: At least they've got a couple of players in form in particular Connor Wickham one in 37 prior to his performances against Manchester City and Chelsea maybe he is clicking at just the right time for them
1: well hopefully from a Sunderland perspective you know he is I mean you look at him as a build of player and he's like got all the attributes you would want in a centre forward he's powerful he's got good height he's got a decent first touch the only thing lacking from him is playing on a regular basis and putting the ball in the back of the net two vital things you need as a centre forward obviously but uh, clearly there's potential there for Connor Wickham mm.
0: and you've touched on the ironies of football Fabio Barini with the winner on loan from Liverpool, might just have sealed the title for his parent club.
1: Well, he may well have done. I mean, Chelsea have still got something that they can do about that up at Anfield next Sunday, but uh, we'll wait and see. I mean, you just can't help but think there's twists and turns still to be had. Yeah,
0: nothing is definite until it's all over, but it clearly was a, a damaging result as far as Chelsea's title hopes are concerned. This is what Jose Mourinho had to say afterwards.
2: The first point is to congratulate my players. They did everything they could. They played from the first to the last second. Uh, sometimes we praise the players when, when we won. I think it's fair to praise my players after um, after a defeat. Uh, secondly, uh, congratulations to Sunderland. It uh, doesn't matter how or why or in which way uh, they won, but they won. Uh, they won the three points and three fantastic points for them. I think it's also fair to, um, to congratulate them.
0: Chelsea had 31 attempts on goal. I think perhaps we knew this already, but the lack of a clinical finisher appears to be haunting them right now. Well, it does. Chelsea have been
1: struggling all season to find a regular goal scorer. You know, Etos chipped in, Torres has chipped in, and Demba Bar recently has scored the odd goal, but when you compare other sides around Chelsea at the top of the Barclays Premier League, they've got top quality strikers. Chelsea just don't have that luxury at this moment in time, something that I'm sure Mourinho will address in the summer.
0: Mark Schwartz has started in goal, becoming their oldest player in the Barclays Premier League at the age of 41. Obviously, Petr has been such an influence for so long. No Edin Hazard at the weekend as well, so presumably those were Two contributory factors?
1: Yeah, obviously. I mean, it's always difficult when you change the goalkeeper as well. People talk about back fours. I always look at it as a back five because the communication between your goalkeeper and your back four is so important. There's been a lot of continuity in Chelsea's back four. Mourinho continues to pick that solid back four all the time and Pedacek as well as the goalkeeper. So it does change things sometimes when your goalkeeper comes in. And, you know, unfortunately, Mark Schwartz did make a mistake as well, which doesn't help things. And obviously, Edin Hazard's been outstanding for Chelsea for most of the season and clearly you're going to miss a player of his
0: talent. That game at Liverpool to come, then at home to Norwich, away to Cardiff and of course two big Champions League matches either side of the Liverpool fixture. So it's certainly crunch time for them.
1: Oh, it's absolutely crunch time. I mean, they've got one last chance in this Barclays Premier League if they've still got an outside chance of winning it and that's to go to Anfield and win the game against Liverpool which invariably could ruin Liverpool's chances as well. The difficulty is it comes in between the two
0: Champions League semi-finals against Atletico Madrid so we'll have to wait and see about that. Yeah, three games to go. They are five points behind Liverpool, who reacted to Chelsea's surprise defeat with an 11th consecutive league victory, beating Norwich 3-2 at Carrow Road on Sunday to open up that lead at the top. Their first title in 24 years really is now within touching distance. They can feel it, can't they, Graham? You know, we keep
1: asking the question, you know, are they going to feel the pressure? Can they keep this incredible run of theirs going? They're answering all the questions at this moment in time. Brendan Rodgers done a terrific job... Players are responding to whatever he's doing, and when questions are asked of you, you want to get the answers on board as quickly as possible. They did that, they were two up inside 15 minutes at Carrow Road.
0: Yeah, scoring early goals has been a fantastic habit. 96 altogether this season. Everyone said for long periods, well, their defence is, is a little bit suspect, but when he's scoring that many goals, it doesn't matter too much, does well, it? It doesn't matter, does it? I mean, you know, Daniel Sturridge
1: has done brilliantly all season, he's not been playing for the last couple of games, but Sterling's gone up alongside Luis Suarez, who is an absolute world class performer. We all know that and they score goals left, right and centre from all kinds of areas as well. You can defend as much as you like, but if you concede a couple of goals and you've got the capability of scoring threes and fours week in, week out, you take that all day long.
0: Well, Luis Suarez has become only the second player to reach 30 Barclays Premier League goals without scoring a single penalty. Andy Cole was the other player who managed that with 34 in the 93-94 season. He's been nominated for Player of the Year. Is he a certainty to pick up that award?
1: I think he is, yes. I mean, personally, you know, even as an Evertonian, I'd have to accept that Luis Suarez has been outstanding. Painful for you to admit that. It is painful for me to say I wish you could see my face (laughs) at this moment in time, but um, he does deserve it. He's an outstanding player, always is surrounding him for his on and off the field actions at times, but let's not lose sight of the fact that, first and foremost, he's a terrific player and I think he does deserve the award.
0: One of the nominations for the PFA Young Player of the Year is Raheem Sterling and he was, once again, pivotal on Sunday scoring, twice setting up the other in his manager Brendan Rogers believes there is no end to his talents at 19 years of age I don't see anyone better I think his intelligence with the ball I think his movement and what he's been concentrating on his work the score on goals you know his first goal was a wonderful strike his pass for Louis's goal was like a midfield player a top top midfield player making that pass in and Lou's guided it in really well so there's an assist and then he's positioning for the counter attack when he broke away and obviously gets a little bit of luck on the deflection but his overall performance for he's shown so much maturity and as I said he's uh, he's for me the best young player in European football at this moment that's high praise indeed but is it an accurate reflection of just how well he's playing right now
1: well certainly over the last couple of months he's been absolutely outstanding Raheem Sterling I mean he burst onto the scene as a young man and we all looked at him and thought what a player this guy is and then all of a sudden his form dipped and he disappeared out of Liverpool's side for a while and he's come back into the side under Brendan Rodgers and when you've got your manager telling the world that you're the best young player in European football he's only a small lad he's walking six foot tall and that again is fantastic man management making your players feel a million dollars
0: well, two wins and a draw will seal their first title since 1990 after the Chelsea game they've got Palace away which a few months ago would have looked a banker maybe not now and then Newcastle at home which does still look like a banker
1: but a Newcastle one for me is done and dusted I think Newcastle have had their flip-flops on for a few weeks haven't they um, the crunch game is obviously the Chelsea game at Anfield there's going to be an incredible atmosphere but there's a little bit of history between Chelsea and Liverpool and I'm sure Chelsea won't be lying down in that game and then you've got the Crystal Palace away game which now takes on a different twist because Palace are now safe whereas I was particularly hoping that Palace would still need to get something out of the game but um, Tony Pulis is demanding he's done a terrific job and I'm sure he'll make
0: sure his players are up for that occasion yeah we'll have more on the Pulis effect a little later in the programme as for Norwich an improved performance but it was their fourth defeat in a row it leaves them just two points above the drop zone their interim manager Neil Adams still believes though that they have what it takes to survive it's there it's there without a shadow of a doubt can see that. Again, you've got disappointed players who, you know, with all due respect, they've they've just lost 3-2 to the team that's likely to win the league and given them a right good go as well. Now, of course, we're scrapping for points. We've got three equally tough games against three top sides, but we've shown we can compete. We've shown what we're capable of doing and we just need that little bit more in the last three games and we'll be fine. Well, on another day they might have picked up a point. Thirteen attempts to Liverpool's fourteen. Van Vulswinkel had a great chance to equalize. But but time is possibly starting to run out for them. Well it is, and when you look at the fixtures
1: they've got left, you don't see them winning too many points, do you? But they've got to be encouraged by the way they came back and had a go at Liverpool. I mean the downside is if you go 2-0 down to a Barclays Premier League side, it's very rare that you come back and win the game, obviously. But they did give it a good go and only for a Simon Minule save that was out of the top draw after earlier making a hash of an average looking cross they might well have picked up a point
0: while united away next then to chelsea arsenal at home on the last day of the season they may have to rely on the teams below them just doing even worse than them if they are to survive To the Etihad next, where Manchester City just about kept themselves in the title race with a very comfortable 3-1 win over West Bromwich Albion. All the good work done in the first half, two up inside 10 minutes. And Sergio Aguero has obviously been so important for them this season.
1: Well, he has. Unfortunately, he's picked up some injuries as well. So they've missed him at vital periods of the season. And there's certainly a better side with him in it.
0: Yeah, victory may have come at a cost, though. David Silva, stretch it off. I guess they're crossing everything and hoping that he can come back soon. Yeah, very much so. I
1: mean, he's the man who, who makes them tick, Manchester City. There's no doubt about that. You know, he's a terrific player, very aware, great on the ball, knows right time to pass the ball, when to keep it. I think he's a terrific player, David Silva, and, and hopefully, for his and Manchester City's sake, he'll be fit for the last few games.
0: Well, the win means that City sit six points behind Liverpool with a game in hand, and Captain Vincent Kompany knows they've come back from this sort of situation before. We can still remember what happened for us two years ago, so it's kind of something where we take motivation out of it, but uh, to be honest, I mean, the most important for us is to get back to our beginning of the season form, and you know, it it looked today like we we were better, and uh, if we take this into the next four games, uh, anything can happen. We've seen it in the last two or three games, I mean, Chelsea's at the same situation as us. The teams at the bottom are really tough to play against at the moment, so um, it will give everyone still um, a tough task, but um, ultimately, you know, the strongest team will win all these games and uh, it will be a deserved win of them. Well their last four are at Crystal Palace and Everton and then at home to Aston Villa and West Ham so I suppose they simply have to win them all and then hope for the best. Well they know exactly
1: what they need to do. No excuses now you've got to win all four games. The two away games are tough ones. You know we've, we've talked about the fact that Crystal Palace are in good form. Everton, clearly they need to win that game to keep their march for fourth place going as well so that's a tough one but the home games, no problem. They've dealt with everybody at the Etihad they've scored goals left right and centre haven't they so it's going to be the away games that it comes down to for City.
0: Yeah aside of course on those drop points against Sunderland the other day for West Brom 33 points three above the drop zone they've got a game in hand their last four Graham West Ham at home Arsenal away Sunderland away and then Stoke at home they've been flirting with danger for such a long time is it going to be a happy ending for them?
1: I think it just about might be Marcus I think they've got enough quality to survive and I look at those two home games and I think to myself West Ham have they got a huge amount to play for no the need for West Brom has got to be greater as for the Stoke game as well Stoke have had a decent season nice and comfortable mid table West Brom have got to be so much more
0: needy in that department Yeah, well, to the uh, KC Stadium next where Arsenal were a little needy but ultimately comfortable in their FA Cup final rehearsal as it was against Hull, winning by three goals to nil. One of these star performers was midfielder Aaron Ramsey, scoring one, making the other two on his first league start for the club this year and the Welshman is relishing being back and playing again.
2: I thought it was a very professional performance, you know, from the lads. You know, it was uh, important to uh, come here and and together win, you know, to keep our uh, position in the league and I thought we'd done ever so well today in, in doing that obviously it was a very difficult time for me to be on the sidelines for three months watching on but I'm just delighted to be back now and you know, hopefully
0: you know, um,
1: put uh, some good performances in for the end of the season
0: A win that keeps them that one point in front of Everton and you just wonder Graham had Aaron Ramsey stayed fit all season might it have been a very different story for them?
1: It may well have been I certainly think they probably would have been nailed on to be in that top four because he's been a star performer for them and it showed what they've been missing at the weekend he's the one midfield player for Arsenal who gets beyond the opposition back four and gets himself as the drive and desire to get into the box and score goals. You look at Kozola you look at Arteta and they're very neat and tidy but they don't hurt you beyond the back four of the opposition whereas Ramsey does that very very well.
0: Arsenal's last three fixtures Newcastle at home, West Brom at home then Norwich away. They look winnable. The defeat for Hull left them in 14th place on 36 points but their manager Steve Bruce is happy with the way his team is playing at the moment. We had a
1: spell first 30 35 minutes where you know we've gone up against them and uh, played very very well against them and that's when you need a break and something to hang on to but you always know they've got this little bit of quality and with a few of them getting back fit then uh, we know it's going to be a difficult day we've still got three or four games we're still in a wonderful position we've still got now we've got three away games we've got to go and pick something up our one point two points wherever it's going to be we've got to get over the line and uh, i'm sure we can do
0: it yeah, those three away games at Fulham, Aston Villa and Manchester United before they end the season at home to Everton and then of course they've got the cup final which I, I guess is a bit of a distraction as mathematically they're not safe yet, are they? No, they're not and
1: I'm looking at the games there and I'm thinking Fulham they're fighting for their lives it's always a difficult place to go to Craven Cottage I don't see Hull particularly picking anything up there and then Aston Villa who aren't safe themselves so a tough game for Hull at, at Villa Park then away at Manchester United as well a Manchester United side who clearly have to pick up and raise their game you could seriously being in a position where
0: Hull have to get something out of Everton game on the last
1: day of the season. Yeah, it could
0: yeah, be a, a little twist in the Hull campaign. Uh, coming up, we will speak to a lifelong Crystal Palace fan about their remarkable turnaround under Tony Pulis. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Marcus Buckland. We'll be reviewing Palace's win over West Ham shortly, but before that, lifelong West Ham fan Mark Noble, now in his 10th season at Upton Park, has been reflecting on his early days in East London, learning the West Ham way, and how the club has an impact on the local community.
5: i come over to West Ham, I was at Arsenal, i come over to West Ham at about 12. If I'm honest, I really enjoyed it there as a kid, but we lived in East London, and for my dad to get home from work, pick me up and get all the way to Highbury where we trained. We was late every time and it was just becoming a joke. So uh, my contract was up and West Ham was always keen for me to go over there. And yeah, I went over there and, and loved it and sort of never looked back since really. Obviously, when I first broke in, uh, Teddy Sheridan was there. Uh, He was a massive influence on my uh, career, if anything. He sort of uh, showed me how to be a professional footballer in a way. I went from being a kid to starting in the West Ham team at 17, and he helped me out along the way. But then you had players like Steve Lomas, Don Hutchinson, Christian Daly, uh, Malky Mackay, Andy Melville. These were all senior, senior players, and they sort of brought me up the West Ham way. West Ham is a community club because, personally myself, I've been to so many community things that they do. I've got boys that used to go to my school around the corner for Robinson Stadium that work in West Ham in the community now. I see, I'll probably see five, six, seven, eight of the boys that I used to play football with in school and in younger age groups of me that have gone into working in football in the community with West Ham. And it's nice to see and obviously, when I was a kid, we had really nothing like that. Um, so in the community stuff, is helping massively. With West Ham fans, I've always said that if you go out onto the pitch and you give 100%, you'll be the worst player in the world. But if you run around and tackle and show commitment, then they're going to appreciate that. And uh, yeah, that's what I do every every week, you know, go out and try and give as much as I can. And I think they appreciate that. Obviously, I grew up as a West Ham boy and to play for, obviously, the team we supported as a kid is, is special. But to have 10 years in the first team and, and have, I think, six or seven different managers and still keep my place under them managers is um, something I'm proud of. West Ham's
0: Mark Noble. Graham Stewart, we live in the era of the international superstar, but there's nothing quite like a homegrown hero, is there? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, supporters love a
1: homegrown player who's got a success story, you know, wearing their shirt with pride week in, week out. And Mark Noble is that man for West Ham, isn't
0: he? He most certainly is. Uh, let us turn our attention to the bottom half of the Barclays Premier League. We'll start in South Wales, where it was a tale of two penalties as Cardiff came back from a goal down to draw 1-1 with in-form Stoke, the Bluebirds' saviour was once again their goalkeeper David Marshall who made a flurry of saves late on
5: to earn his side the point. Having gone one nil down um, it's probably a good point. We want to win our home games obviously against teams especially in the bottom half but uh, it was a good performance against a good a good team. Unfortunately we couldn't get three points but I've got a belief in the last three. Losing to Palace was a big blow and everybody thought we well, were done but we'll give ourselves sort of a fighting chance with four points out of the last six. And we'll go to Sunderland next week's obvious a massive for, for them as well and uh, Newcastle after that we believe because we know the last game against Chelsea is gonna be difficult.
0: So they're 18th. They're two points behind Norwich at this stage. Of course, they need wins, not draws. Away to Sunderland, away to Newcastle, and then at home to Chelsea. I sense that you feel it's not going to be enough for them. They've got a chance at Sunderland
1: because I've already said Sunderland don't play well at home for me. Um, Newcastle, you never know what Newcastle side's going to turn up on a Saturday afternoon. And for Chelsea, it pretty much could be done and dusted
0: for them in terms of winning the title. Yeah, hope springs eternal. It's going to be one of those seasons where perhaps we don't know so many outcomes until the last kick of the campaign. Uh, the draw certainly continued Stoke's good run, which has seen their move up to 10th, losing just one of their last eight league matches. And striker Peter Odom Wingy believes there's even more to come from his side.
5: We've been playing really good football. We have quality players like uh, Asaidi here, Barnautovic, you know, the team's really working hard. And, you know, we have a very solid team and, you know, hopefully we can uh, finish in the top 10. And I'm sure the plans are to grow more and become a uh, very uh, big
0: club in the Premier League. They're now just two points behind Newcastle who are ninth. They've never finished in the top half before so there's still a little bit of incentive for them to keep
1: going, isn't there? Very much so. I mean, their form has been very good of late, hasn't it, under Mark Hughes and he'll be delighted if he can get them a top ten finish. It'll be a decent season for Stoke if he can do that.
0: Well, dropping below Cardiff into 19th uh, were Fulham who failed to make it three wins on the spin going down 3-1 at Spurs uh, on Saturday in the lunchtime kickoff. Steve Silber with a first half equaliser. He then missed that second half penalty though, and I wonder how significant a moment in their campaign that might prove to be. It
1: would have given them a chance with a few minutes left at Spurs, wouldn't it? But I think ultimately Spurs were the better side and Fulham, again, are flirting with danger, aren't they? And I'm surprised a little bit because I think that if you look at their side on paper you don't expect them to be sat in the bottom three in the Barclays Premier
0: League. Well, their manager Felix Magat still expects them to get out of trouble. We
1: played quite well, but unfortunately we uh, had uh, a few players injured or ill, so so we have to change the team. We played quite well. We had uh, some chances, even a penalty. But at the end, Tottenham was the better team. I'm sure that we stay up uh, because there was some reasons why we are not
0: as good as Tottenham today. But next week, I think we make it better. So level on points with Cardiff. Two points behind Norwich next The home game against Hull, then away to Stoke, home to Crystal Palace. You've got a league table in front of you. It's time for you to nail your colours to the mast. Which three are going down, Graham? I
1: think Sunderland will certainly go down there's no doubt about that for me I think unfortunately Cardiff will go as well and I'm going to say Fulham I like the two home games I think they can pick up maximum points from the home games but I don't think they'll win at Stoke
0: As for Spurs well the win was largely thanks to the dead ball skills of Christian Eriksen who manager Tim Sherwood feels has had a massive impact in his first season in the Barclays Premier League
5: He affects the football match you know he's a great delivery it does not just happen Only he, he practices that you know to get dragged off the uh, training field every single day and he- will be better from um, the experience what he's having now in the Premier League. He's a top player in it and he, he affects the game. You know, too many players you see now around the Premier League just participate in the game, you know, and they're on the pitch. This boy don't. He affects it by scoring or assisting.
0: Four goals and five assists in Ericsson's uh, last five Barclays Premier League matches. He, he's been a shining beacon for Spurs. They've got Stoke away, West Ham away, Aston Villa at home. We've spoken about the importance of Manchester United qualifying for the Europa League. It's um, probably going to be between these two, so who's going to grab that last well, place? Well, Tottenham are
1: certainly in the driving seat for that position, aren't they? There's no doubt about that. And the games are attractive for them as well. There's plenty of points to be played for still and good games for Tottenham. They can certainly pick up at least six points, which will see them into the Europa League next year.
0: Yeah, of course 5th and 6th position will guarantee Europa League football next season uh, To St James's Park next, where Swansea took a huge step towards survival, coming from behind to beat Newcastle 2-1 thanks to an injury-time Wilfred Boney winner. Uh, let's hear from the Swans manager, Gary Monk, who feels the performance at Newcastle
5: proved team spirit within the camp is good. We started well, obviously the goal went against us, but we got the goal back just at the right time before half-time and in the second half we really stepped up, passed the ball a lot better and, and got control a little bit more and Really dug in, and then we got our just rewards, you know, with um, the penalty, and it was a stonewall penalty. I don't think anyone can have any complaints about that. And this goes some way to putting us safe, but no, we want to want to make sure it's, it's for definite. And we'll be going out next week and um, really trying to put on performance. But last week with the Chelsea performance going down to 10 men, such an early period, and we, we dug in, we showed the same spirit as we showed today. So I think you can see that the squad's unified and, yeah, that we're all together, which is important.
0: Certainly is. And Bernie's now scored four goals in his last four away games. In fact, he's been one of the best signings of the season in some regards, hasn't he?
1: Well, he has. I mean, he's had an opportunity to play that he might not have had if Michu had been fit, because Michu's form for Swansea, we all know, has been terrific. But Boney's come in, he's done terrifically well, he's a very, very strong boy, and he was certainly cool as a
0: cucumber with that last-minute penalty, wasn't he? He was. He's got nerve. They've got 36 points. They're in 13th position at the moment. Their last three fixtures, Villa at home, Southampton at home, Sunderland away. What do you reckon? One more point, enough to guarantee them survival?
1: Yeah, I would guess so. I mean, They're relatively comfortable based on the fixtures that the other sides, certainly in that bottom three, have got. So I think Gary Monk, one more win, and they'll be quite comfortable.
0: As for Newcastle, well, that late penalty subjected them to their fifth defeat in a row and midfielder Dan Gosling knows they need to work very hard to get out of their current slump.
5: It's a sucker punch really I don't think we deserved it but we've got to be more switched on in the closing stages of games nothing seems to be going right for us as as a group we have eight days now to sort of work towards Arsenal away on Monday night we need to get fitter we need to get stronger and uh, we need to uh, keep working hard and uh, as a group.
0: It means they've lost seven of their last nine at home you suggested they've been in flip-flop mode of like Maybe they've actually been wearing flip-flops at home.
1: Well, it looks that way, doesn't it? I mean, again, a demanding crowd, aren't they? Newcastle, you know, they're expecting good football week in, week out, and for me Newcastle flatter to deceive on a regular basis, and it wouldn't surprise me and I don't wish it upon anybody, but it wouldn't surprise me if there was a change at the top at Newcastle in, in the weeks to come
0: You think that Alan Pardute is another? I think he's
1: under big, big pressure.
0: Well, the season certainly can't end quickly enough as far as Newcastle are concerned. In complete contrast to them, Crystal Palace made it five wins in a row at the weekend, when they saw off London rivals West Ham 1-0 at Upton Park. The current Palace Manager Tony Pulis says he's seeing many similarities to his previous
5: reign at the Britannia Stadium. They believe in themselves, There's fantastic spirit. You know, it's a little bit like Stoke in lots of respects. You know, the football club became part of the team and the team became a part of the community. They've got a long way to go, mind. They've only done it for seven, eight
2: months at Stoke. You know, they've, they've picked the baton up and they've stayed with that club. And if we can do the same at Palace, it'll be brilliant.
0: They're 11th now, Graham. They've got 43 points, just sum up what sort of a job Pulis has done since arriving there? Monumental is the
1: word I can think of. You know, he's been absolutely outstanding. He's got great credentials from, you know, his days at Stoke, as he alluded to. The job he's done is terrific. There's no doubt about it. They were struggling. They were everybody's favourites to be going down 10 games or so into the season. They were certainly one of my favourites to be going down. It's a more egg on my face. <laughs> but uh, I think Tony Pulis is proud of the way the Crystal Palace players have got behind his ethic. You know, they work hard, they're strong. I mean, I saw the game up at Goodison Park. They hit everything on the counter-attack, there was pace, there was power in their play
0: and fully deserved to stay up. Well, to talk a little more about Palace's remarkable turnaround, I'm very pleased to say that we're joined now by lifelong Eagles fan and Marie Curie fundraiser, Karen Green. Hello, Karen. Good morning, Marcus. Now, let's begin by paying homage to your team and the work which Tony Pulis has done since arriving. What, for you, has been the biggest change that you've witnessed since the managerial change-around?
4: the cohesiveness again, if we're behind, they come back, the play, the fluidity, absolutely everything, I think, um, just amazing. Yeah, so
0: he's ticked every box. You've been a season ticket holder since 1977. Can you remember Palace having such a, a healthy winning streak before? It's now five in a row?
4: No, that's the first time, isn't it? That's broken a record, I understand. So, no, fantastic.
1: Karen, who have been the key players for you in this upturn in your fortunes? Oh,
4: that's a very difficult one. Obviously, Julian Speroni made some world-class saves. Milo Jedinak, our captain, just worked doggedly away. Joel Ward and Damien Delaney on the back. Uh, Jason Punchen's been outstanding uh, over the last few weeks, hasn't he? Absolutely, and Cameron Giroux. Yannick just flies along the wing.
0: Yeah, it's been a great team effort. Now, Karen, you were a guest of the West Ham... (laughs) (laughs) co-owner David Gold at Upton Park at the weekend. How did that
4: come about? David is a Marie Curie supporter and very kindly allows us to go to his house for photo calls. And I think it was the beginning of last April, we went along to promote our Blooming Great Tea Party campaign. And he knows that I'm a massive Palace fan. And he said that if we got promoted, I would go as his guest to the West Ham Palace game and I put when we get promoted and of course the man of his word went along as his guest was actually on Sky Sports News with him and his partner Leslie and Steve Parrish because we all arrived at the same time and were having photos taken and then went in the director's box to watch the game so I had to be very well behaved (laughs) and um, I was quite overcome because obviously our chairman one of them had tears in his eyes at the end of the game so you know we were all very euphoric at the result and staying up.
0: Well it sounds like a a fantastic... Oh, I felt like
4: Cinderella going to the ball.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I think I might have said that you know quite a few of the players through your work with Mary Curie.
4: Yes, they're very aware of the work that I do. And I do think that it helps that, obviously, I'm a fan. We had our great daffodil appeal launch on the pitch for the Southampton match and all the boys were turning up in their suits for the match with the daffodils on. Then they were wearing the daffodils warming up on the pitch. And for the photo call, we had some of the players and the Crystal Girls and David Payne, who's one of our legends, and David Jensen and some Murray Curie supporters. And quite a few of the players donate their old kit. Millet has and Julian's donated gloves. KG, Paddy, Dean Moxie, Johnny Parr, Johnny Williamson. I'm <laughs> thinking the list goes on, actually. Who have <laughs> I forgotten? Joel Ward. Just old training tops or boots and then we auction them, and it raises a lot of money. Julian, our goalkeeper, has been along to our Murray shop shopping, Catrim and Oxted, and we had over 300 people queuing to see him. And it just promotes the awareness of the shop and the charity.
0: Well, it's fantastic to hear of the players' contribution. doesn't always um, get reported, of course. Just a final one in terms of what the players are going to do next season. Now that you've survived... <laughs> what's What's the plan?
4: I don't know. I don't have Tony Poolish's ears, so, but you know hopefully we'll progress higher up the table and um, looking forward to welcoming back the big teams again because the crowd capacity has gone up vastly. We used to get maybe fourteen thousand, fifteen thousand. Now you're looking at twenty five thousand people per game.
0: It's exciting times, yeah, isn't it? No, Many please, congratulations please. i I think we all agree that the Palace fans have been some of the very best in the Barclays yes. Premier League. <laughs> This season as well.
4: Very loudly. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Karen, lovely to speak to you and um, congratulations on all the charity work and congratulations on surviving the drop as well.
4: Ah, no, no. Well, I'm going along to the Fulham game and I will go with a very happy heart instead of going mm. to the Y like we have done in the past.
0: I'm sure you will. Thank you very much indeed. That is lifelong Eagles fan and Marie Curie fundraiser Karen Green. And Graham, footballers don't always get fantastic publicity but we've just got a, a perfect example there of what goes on behind the scenes at, at all clubs up and down the country. Very much so. It's a
1: requirement of you as a player to get behind your community, do some work in and around your football club to promote all the good that goes on around the likes of Crystal Palace, etc. And as you touched on there, Marcus, all the 92 clubs in the country, it's something that you need to do. It's something that the players are, I've always thought have been very, very supportive of and it's refreshing as well because it gives you as a, as a player you know the bubble that you live in. You get a good handle on what's exactly going on around your football club.
0: Yeah, and just while we're on, the, on that sort of subject, I want to mention the hashtag YouAreFootball campaign. And I know that there was one example that jumped out for you this week. It was actually the game between Fulham and Spurs when Roddy Yeager had a bullet yeah. header saved by Lloris and, and reacted in you know a way that I think everybody fully appreciated at the time.
1: Yeah, I mean it was fantastic wasn't it? I mean there's plenty of pressure on the players in, in the Barclays Premier League week in, week out but when you get a lighthearted moment like that it makes everybody smile and that's what it's all about
0: And there was another very touching moment, Graham just before that West Ham Crystal Palace match, a minute's applause in memory of Dylan Tombides, the 20-year-old West Ham player who sadly passed away after a brave battle with testicular cancer obviously a a huge loss it it was felt by everybody and it it was
1: reflected in an appropriate manner absolutely i mean you know terribly sad news for dylan's family and all the west ham players and, and, and staff at the football club and quite rightly appreciated in the right way
0: and unfortunately west ham couldn't record a win in honour of Dylan going down to their sixth defeat in eight matches Graham they, they just appear to be limping towards the finish a little bit at the moment
1: yeah again when you get to that stage in the season where you're sat in the middle of the table and you're relatively comfortable performances can dip I think it's not something that you as a player go out and you mean to do but subconsciously you know that you're safe you know that you know mathematically it's virtually impossible that you know all the sides below you are going to catch up with you so you're kind of thinking of the holiday time aren't you
0: yeah we've uh, we've all had that feeling at uh, <laughs> various times uh, Rounding off the weekend's fixtures, a somewhat drab nil-nil affair between Aston Villa and Southampton. Let's hear from both camps. Saints midfielder Victor Wanyama. First of all, the Villa captain Ron Vlaar.
2: After four losses, we take it. We worked really hard to change something. Southampton is a good side and they play uh, really good football. They had some chances, so did we. Today, the effort was was great. With the fans behind us, and yeah, I think it's a it's a massive point for us. We had a few chances and um, we are just unlucky not to get three points today. We just have to keep on going, play and try and win every game. So that's our aim. Let's hope uh, we we continue this way and come next season it's going to be better than this season.
0: Well, Villa have mustered only 42 goals in 37. Barclays Premier League home matches under Paul Lambert. 35 points for them. Last four games, away to Swansea, home to Hull, away to Manchester City and then away to Spurs. Even if they do survive, has this been another very frustrating season for them or or do you understand what they're going through during this period of transformation? I've always looked at
1: Villa as, as a big, big football club and I can understand the frustration that must surround Villa Park for the fans because they just haven't performed at home, that can't be good for the, for the atmosphere around Villa Park on any given match day. They could get dragged into it, you know. I mean, they're, they're not safe. And you look at those fixtures, especially the away games, Swansea fighting for their lives still, you know, Manchester City and Spurs. You know, it could really come down to getting some points against Hull.
0: Yeah, still some work for them to do. And Southampton in eighth, are they going to be pretty satisfied with that sort of finish?
1: I think it's realistic for Southampton. I mean, if you look at the sides above them, no one would really have expected Southampton to, to have finished, you know, above any of those sides. So I think it's realistic. They'll be disappointed to a degree because they started off so well. But a lot of good young players at Southampton, and they're only going to get better.
0: Well, let's take a look at this weekend's Barclays uh, Premier League fixtures once again. Obviously, some crucial ones at both the top and the bottom. Southampton involved in the Saturday lunchtime match at home to Everton, Stoke against Spurs, Swansea versus Aston Villa, West Brom at home to West Ham, Fulham against Hull another huge game at Craven Cottage and then Manchester United play Norwich in the Saturday evening match, Sunday, Sunderland against Cardiff, followed by Liverpool against Chelsea, followed by Crystal Palace against Manchester City and then Monday night to the Emirates for Arsenal and Newcastle, so which of those really stand out for you? Southampton, Everton and Arsenal
1: Newcastle games are vital from my own personal perspective but in the shake-up for that fourth spot in the bar Premier League. It's a tough one for Everton to go and win at St Mary's. But if they do, you know, Arsenal have got to sit on that result for 24 hours or
0: so and then perform on the Monday night game. Yeah, it's going to be another intriguing weekend just about wherever you look. And we should at this stage just mention Burnley, Graham, who yeah. next season will be in the Barclays Premier League uh, fixtures every week after securing promotion following four years uh, back at uh, Championship
1: level. Again, a huge football club, Burnley, you know, and it'll be great to have them back in the Barclays Premier League. There'll be a great addition alongside Leicester and whoever finally gets that last playoff spot great stuff well
0: done to Burnley that is just about all we have time for on this week's show before we go though a reminder that you can win tickets to watch your club via our Barclays Twitter ticket competition all you have to do is tell us why you are football and here are a couple of recent winners Swansea fan Sean Morgan's tweeted supporting the Swan since 1985 many years spent at the Vetchfield with 2,000 other fans but dreams can come true believe a Newcastle fan Vinny. Holden admits, they used to call me Bambino Gascoigne during Italian 90 because I cried a lot during the World Cup. Hashtag you are football. Has a football match ever made you You cry, Graham. Oh,
1: yes. Quarter-final of the FA Cup at Stamford Bridge and we drew 1-1 and we had the replay against Sunderland at Roker Park and the Roker roar was going on and around Sunderland. We absolutely annihilated Sunderland over 90 minutes and then Gordon Armstrong scored in the 91st minute, I think it was, from a corner. Our cup dreams were shattered and I was crying, trust me. Painful.
0: How long did it take you to get over that one? Till the next season. (laughs) (laughs) To this day, I thought you were going to say.
1: Well, fortunately, I, I was lucky enough to win it with Everton, so it was a nice way to get over the disappointment
0: with Chelsea. Greg, thank you very much Steve, for your company. It's been a lot of fun. Don't forget all of you have a go at this week's trivia teaser. Luis Suarez is only the seventh player to hit at least 30 goals in a single Barclays Premier League season. Can you name the other six players to have achieved that feat? Here's a clue for you. One player did it three times. If you think you know the answer, tweet it to at Barclays or post it onto the Barclays football Facebook page and we'll reveal it on the site later in the week. We'll be back next week to dissect what is sure to be another dramatic weekend of Pictures at both the top and bottom of the table, including that huge bottom-of-the-table encounter between Sunderland and Cardiff, what could prove to be the title decider at Anfield as Liverpool and Chelsea Lockhorns, and, of course, Ryan Giggs' first game as United's interim manager against Norwich. But until then, from Graham and me, Marcus Buckland, goodbye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays.